Welcome to the One Shot Test Kitchen. Today's episode, Lasers and Feelings. Hello, we are back. I'm Samara, and as ever, I'm here with Mike and April Lynn. Hey, everybody. Hello. Okay, guys. So last week, we braved the reckless kiss and discovered all that Linda Space 3 was hiding as we played Lasers and Feelings with our special guest, Xavier. And now that we've had some time to really think about what we did, I'm curious uh, as to what you guys thought about the game. And I just want to dive right in with the review with rules and mechanics, because uh, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about it. Um, so April Lynn, what did you think about the overall D6 laser to feelings mechanic? And how well did that like one page rule set set you up for the gameplay experience? So the mechanic itself, I really, really loved. I love the simplicity of it, that it didn't really take a lot away from the story. But I thought it was really elegant and really, really set us up for just a simple way to resolve problems. I think it was a really elegant game mechanic. It was simple, but it also led to like a variety of experiences. And I liked that depending on whether you were rolling for lasers or feelings and whether your character was mostly based around lasers or feelings, you would have different outcomes depending on what you rolled. Uh, I thought that it was simple. It was easy to understand, but it led to a lot of interesting results. Sorry, I was just going to say, which is what is like, for me, fundamentally, dice mechanic should accomplish always. Yeah. And so, yeah, I agree with you. It was such a great, like, elegant expression of what dice mechanics should do for games. Exactly. I feel like so many games make the dice mechanics so complicated and convoluted that they take away from the story experience. And sometimes that's fun. Sometimes the actual the experience of going to tables and doing some math and figuring it all out, that comp that calculation is a fun part of the game. But for a game like this, where it's based on story, I think that having something simple but effective is important. And I think that this did it perfectly. Mm -hmm. In terms of the rules themselves, though, you know how the story would progress, um, I think that we were very fortunate that we had you as a gifted GM who was running the game, because I think that a less skilled GM probably would have struggled with the lack of structure mm. in the game mm -hmm. um i felt that the actually running the game itself rules were very limited so i was i was just glad that we had you to guide us through it and make it happen so i definitely want to talk about that the gming stuff but i i i kind of want to talk about the core mechanic a little bit because i actually was not a fan of it mm. I mean, I like the idea of like an elegant system that is like, you know, and you know, like I very much take the point that there's a lot of like, you know, you look at like very intense war games that are very numbers heavy, very grognardy, like, you know, this is not that and it's not intended to be that certainly. But I felt that the rules were the rules can sometimes rules in other games can sometimes help define like a system and how you approach it and all that. Mm -hmm. Like character classes are part of the rules and they help define your character and all that. Here it was like very much left to the imagination, but that kind of, at least for me, is like, okay, you can be anything, so I'm going to retreat into something familiar. Uh, I'm going to retreat into something I've seen on TV. Mm. And that might be the intention. But I think also the thing that kind of bugged me about it uh, is that everything is on that one scale from 
lasers to feelings. But every time we made a roll, it was like, okay, wait, do I need to roll over? Or do you need to roll mm, under? Mm-hmm. Like, in, like there was, it wasn't really logically consistent for me. Like, I, I couldn't tell you right now. I think you need to roll under for lasers, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's a high number. So, like, at least in my brain, those two things kind of roll low, but high is good because, you know, it, it kind of competes with that. The thing that I was thinking about was the system kind of incentivizes min-maxing mm-hmm. because... Uh, like I was, a, I was a robot. I, you know, I, not only did I have a very high score in that, in, I was very laser focused, very science focused, but everything I did, every action I took in the game was geared around that character being in lasers. He was never really in a feeling situation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. everything he was doing, he was kind of set up to be really good at. And I, I felt that like, you know, that kind of limited scale kind of incentivized that level of min-maxing. Well, Xavier was right in the middle there at three. And Mm -hmm. from a storytelling perspective, I think he had some of the most interesting roles because he would, you know, be hitting, because it was sort of smack dab in the middle, he was was failing and succeeding more erratically. And I think, too, Mm -hmm. like, to speak to your point about the situations that you were in, um, you know, that also goes to a little bit of a GM thing, because I think about how the Doctor of Love was often in situations that could arguably be a laser situation. But what I found interesting in the game was negotiating and saying, well, the way in which I'm doing this, you know, and but it also speaks to the squishiness of the rules that we didn't have those boundaries to push up against that sometimes do create unexpected things or I really hear your point about like not falling into tropes Mm. which sometimes when you're in a sandbox you just go to the familiar so that is definitely and especially when you go but I felt like we really had an amalgamation of a lot of different space ideas in this one oh yeah I mean this game is nothing if not like 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 space tropes the game like i mean it is that like I, i'm i'm not knocking it for doing that certainly like it's star trek it's firefly it mm-hmm. is all of those things you know babylon 5 i guess um and you know and it served to have a you know a plot that actually like was something you'd see on one of those episodes mm-hmm. i just felt that like it didn't feel challenging not that it necessarily needed to but like I, like my character never really I never really felt that my character was in any kind of danger or distress. I mean just danger like no in Star Trek nobody dies. So like you know except the red shirts. <laughs> so that's you know kind of in in line with it but like it, I didn't necessarily feel the that there was like you know that I was messing anything up at any time which was kind of There wasn't enough tension. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a good way to put it. Which could also speak to, to a degree again, like, because for the GM side of the rules, right, there's a table that you roll on to figure out Mm. what the, like, who the threat is, what they're, what they want to do, and like, what that will accomplish. And I certainly rolled one that was a little bit more subterfuge uh, mm. passive rather than the space pirates that are trying to steal the gems you have on there, which has in itself sort of space opera tension built in rather than I could have made McTadden uh, maybe a little bit more vicious. <laughs> we could have spent a little, maybe she could have spent more time trying to fuck up your systems, you know, or anything like that. But instead for me, what was interesting on the, on the GM side of it was 
kind of taking the cues from you guys to a degree. And once it was like, you know, this handsome man is greeting me on this ship. I got to run with this. Um, <laughs> that it definitely, it definitely veered into less tension-filled space. And probably the most tension-filled moment was needing to get through the reckless kiss, which because there were not rules that made it a multi-layered challenge it was up to me on the fly to try to bring in some of these roll dices across everybody so that everybody was also engaged so it wasn't just you know the rope mm -hmm. you know cap five trying to figure it out i mean i i hear you on that what i really like about the rule system and the elegance of it is that it just boils down like we said earlier i think the point of dice mechanics and the core muscle to be built in collaborative storytelling because there are not so many other structures, the game is only as good as the players are willing to tell the story together um, mm. and, and, and build that world with the game master and how much the game master is willing to do that. Because I felt like to bring us into one of the next areas that we often talk about is what I really appreciated was that balance of agency, narrative agency, and I felt like it ended up creating a more meaningful narrative. So I had a couple more thoughts as you two were talking um, one is that I do agree with you, Mike, that the, the rules could have used more. There could have been a little bit more parameter, uh, maybe an extra level of each character has a specific goal. And if their role has something to do with that goal, it changes things somewhat. Or, yeah, just another level on top of the you roll some dice for you know, whether it's an expert level role. And I agree with you that remembering, am I supposed to be rolling above or below in which direction that every time we had to ask. Uh, and that was definitely a failing of the game um, that none of us could remember. Uh, if it was only one of us that couldn't remember, then I would say, well, you're just, you, you just need to get good. Uh, the <laughs> yeah, fact <no>. that <laughs> none of the three of us could remember which direction was lasers and which direction was feelings. And I mean, maybe if we had the rules in front of us and we hadn't been looking at the video while we recorded the podcast, it would have been easier. But for a one page rules sheet, we shouldn't have had to look. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agree. So that's something. Um, another thing I was just curious about, Samara, what did you roll on the uh, the GM setup? A rogue captain wants to bond with ancient ruins to turn back time. Yeah, and I see it here in your notes. That's that's good. Uh, I'm glad that I read that. <laughs> so, but one other thing that I wanted to say that kind of contradicted Mike is I really thought I kind of felt like that dichotomy the very binary dichotomy of there's lasers and there's feelings was a good structure even despite the min maxing I thought that it was just an interesting way to look at a game is this action more logical or is this action more emotional and just those two opposite ways of looking at the world and then that little bit of space in between I thought that it was a really interesting way of telling a story mm-hmm and that it didn't necessarily need to be a super complicated, super deep. I mean, it's a one-page rules setting, for goodness sakes. I mean, I like. I, I definitely like the like the philosophical divide of like you know science and emotion and all that kind of stuff. I guess my main complaint about it is that when you put those on a one to six scale, mm -hmm. am I more like how is lasers higher? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, that was the kind of the mental disconnect. For me. I like the I like the philosophical divide, but not necessarily the mechanical mm -hmm. one. Right. So what I um so tomorrow night 
I got asked to introduce uh, four people who had been really curious about Dungeons and Dragons, but they have no like experience with this. And, you know, we're all in living in Covidia, so it can't be in person. <laughs> and I've been running these games with like Zoom and Roll20 and people's character sheets. And it's just, you know, it's a lot. And it's a lot for a group of first timers. So after playing this game, I thought, oh, well, this is a great way you could adapt this rule system because I think that these rules are adaptable to what I think at its core D&D tries to do. And so instead of lasers and feelings, I have mental and might. And it's basically uh, might is essentially constitution, dexterity, and strength. And mental is wisdom, charisma, and intelligence. And giving them the options between maybe you're somebody who's really nimble and lethal with a knife, but like a great guest at a party. So one thing I do want to mention is like, you know, as you're talking about running this game with other people, Lasers and Feelings, I'm, I forget when precisely it was released. Um, I don't know if it says it on this, but a while back. And so this system has actually be kind of become its own thing. Mm-hmm. And I know I was researching this uh, uh, for something that I was doing uh, once upon a time uh, in the before times. <laughs> but there are a no- there's a huge amount of hacks of this system, mm-hmm. of the Lasers and Feelings system. I believe it. I mean, I... Yeah, I'm looking at one right now, and it's, like, everything from, like, steampunk post-apocalyptic to, like, Muppet Babies and Magical Girls. Like, right. there's, like, there's a system for all of these things. And, like, that is part of the the benefit of the system, that it is that open, that it can be applied to that. And it's really just about, on the you know, creating a, maybe a different spectrum and a different, like, plot role kind mm-hmm. of thing. But it can be adapted damn near anywhere. Well, because I think if of- the point of it to an extent, I think... A purpose that I have found from or that I found from it and we'll see how it goes tomorrow night is that it serves a great purpose uh, for introducing people who have no exposure to these types of games to both what a dice mechanic can fundamentally do. But also, I think one of the hardest humps for people to get over who don't have this experience is that collaborative storytelling. And I don't like I thought and again, it maybe was the group that we had, but I thought that we ended up telling a pretty compelling story because there wasn't this fear that a lot of games inherently have, which is I'm going to get it wrong because somebody has built something already and I don't know the history. And it was exciting for me as a game master to like not look at the glazed over eyes of people while I was rambling on and on about the history of some made up race that I had thought way too long about. Mm-hmm. But we were creating that history together. And there were so many moments in the game where you guys pushed back on me, but I also got to push back on you and see how it, you know, built in that way. For you guys as players, did you did you feel like how was how was that experience for you? And did it make you more invested in a narrative than maybe other games would have? Mike? I mean, I don't know. So the thing is, like, I'm trying to separate between. So my character was kind of passive, like in terms of like his his goal, his motivation was kind of orthogonal to like the goals of everyone else on the crew. Like he wanted to preserve the ship. Everyone else wanted to know what the hell was going on with this this new woman. Um, so because she was so charming and mysterious. OK, get she on was, board, robot. She was trying too hard. Um, <laughs> um, Ouch. No, 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 not you. No, no, no. I, <laughs> you don't know how close Gates McTadden is to my heart. No, just not. Okay, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, no, it's totally fine. Um, 
So, I mean, like, in that sense, like, I don't know if necessarily me playing Cap 5 had the opportunity to really shape things. Mm. I mean, there were a couple of things, but I, I think he had the opportunity to shape his role on the crew. I think, Iperlin, your character, Dirk, had more of an opportunity. Your character was kind of the, almost the protagonist of this in a, in a kind of way. Mm-hmm. You were interacting with McTadden all the time and, like, <laughs> had the most, like, you know... Well, interacting. Um, <laughs> uh, Quote unquote, yes. Mm-hmm. So how did you wink, feel wink. about that? Well, so I well, I really loved the story that we told. And part of it was the character that I chose was such a departure from who I am. Mm. Uh, you know, playing a gender swapped, very charismatic, very smarmy, handsome uh, rogue which is very different than a character I would normally play. Mm. Uh, and I was kind of out of my element and Samara did her best to just kind of coax me along. And um, <laughs> Oh, I unbuttoned that top button for you, Dirk. I was right there to <laughs> wink at you and get you on board. Yep. <laughs> yep. You sure were. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> yeah. I, I really, I had fun with it. I did feel like, yeah, a lot of our decisions did not have a lot of weight, which was fine. I was happy to just tell a fun story and have a mechanic to help guide that along. And I think that that might be a little bit of the difference between your experience and mine, Mike. Mm-hmm. Part of it. Part of it is that my expectation was just, I'm in this for a fun frolic through space. Mm-hmm. And the discovery of what's going to happen and what Samara has planned for us. But the other side of that, too, is I do think that you playing an android character who wasn't given a lot of opportunity to really shine because uh, because in some ways Dirk outshone you because of the, the budding romance between Gates McTadden and he. It was I mean, just the, the way it evolved. <laughs> Dirk's whole character is that he outshines everyone in the room. So like, <laughs> yeah. that was... That, I mean, that was true. definitely in character. But one thing actually that I'm kind of curious about is that you mentioned something that, like, you know, the the story that Samara had planned for us. And I'm, I'm curious, Samara, like, how much did you plan? Like, I mean, because you had an idea coming in, like, were you thinking, like, you definitely incorporated some stuff that we use. Like, the idea of the Fountain of Youth came from Xavier. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, like, what how much you were thinking about it ahead of time, like even just straight up, like how far in advance did you roll those dice to figure out what the plot is? I rolled them probably on the same day that I prepped the podcast script and thought that I had done all the work um, and then (laughs) walked away from it and then came back and probably about an hour before we were set to record started spiraling out at home and thinking that I like <laughs> I this is terrible. This is gonna completely flop. I didn't plan anything because as I started thinking about it in the way that I think about normal games that I build, because of that lack of a clear structure and how much the rules themselves really push the GM to ask those questions back, I just really went into it open-ended and then had so much fear. Um, and it's interesting to hear your perspectives with that because I wonder if I would have prepared more in the way that I do for other games if there would have been some more satisfying tension-filled moments or puzzling opportunities, which 
I could have done not knowing what types of characters you were, but what I found so compelling about the world was that the world for me, probably because it was being built in real time collaboratively, felt so specific to you guys, your version of Raptor. And so it was very exciting to have something that felt that organic to come up with. But it also is probably part of the reason why Gates as a villain was a little bit uh, basic in her (laughs) tactics. I could have thought of, I think what would have probably made it a more satisfying game is if she had maybe four or five tactics planned rather than just like, but you guys also just kind of accepted her as a captain. So, and went to the place. So one of the things that I'm thinking about as you say this is something that I really enjoy about more collaborative storytelling games like this is the fact that there isn't one single person who's responsible for telling the story. And I wonder if the very concept of having a GM in this game hindered the story by Mm. putting all that pressure on one person to make the decisions rather than having a mechanic that gives everyone the agency to make the decisions as the story progresses. Mm. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me. If you somehow had, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess it would look something more like they're just playing the villain or whoever the opponent. Well, not person. even. Right. Not even. I mean, you could pick a person who was playing the villain, but all the, there are plenty of GMless storytelling games that still manage to have that aspect of discovery because you don't know what the other players around the table are going to add to the story. Mm. And there's a mechanic in place for when somebody creates a story element, it becomes part of the story and you then respond to that story element that's been created. And there was already a bit of that going on in that we were adding story elements that you were then responding to. Mm -hmm. But in the end, you were the one who was steering it. And so just taking that GM role out of the game Mm -hmm. and making it instead a mechanic that everyone's making those decisions together would take the pressure off any one person from feeling like they need to prepare to make a quote unquote better story. Right, right. Yeah, I definitely think that there was a, I think alongside of that idea of like the, uh, the break between the players and the GM, like that kind of parallels kind of that some nascent thought I was having about there was a difference really in the storytelling between the characters and the plot Mm. that's kind of like paralleled there. Samara, you basically ran the, largely speaking, the plot. I mean, you definitely played a lot of characters and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know necessarily if, like you definitely, you had no input on our characters, you know, outside of like, you know, uh, you know, the character creation process and all that. But I'm not sure necessarily the characters were in charge of the plot, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think, again, this is also me talking about my experience as a character that was kind of orthogonal to the plot, so grain of salt. But, like, it seemed like, yeah, it was just like, this is my station here. This is, like, this is the room I get to play in. Mm-hmm. And it is the role of a character in this thing it's it was almost like an early star trek episode where it was like you know the plot is paramount and the characters aren't quite developed yet so we're trying to like like a pilot episode or something like that Mm -hmm. so i mean which kind of makes sense like if that's what they were going for but i mean well yeah like it kind of ties to me to that initial point about tension which also i think goes to this base mechanic that there is an opposing force that the crew is supposed to come around. And I think the fact that the opposing force was so welcomed with open arms, and then for me, there was this challenge that I had built of like, okay, well, the travel, they're going to have to get through this, which I specifically built in in terms of hilariously thinking of trying to give you 
as the engineer a challenge because I was consciously running the game and going, okay, well, I'm doing a lot of chatting up of April Lynn and Mm -hmm. I should maybe like shift gears. But I felt like, you know, Xavier's character very quickly was like, oh, well, you're going to this place I want to go, which was very convenient thing that I hopped on. But ancient (laughs) ruins and like, okay, turning back time, fountain of youth felt very serendipitous. Rogue Captain, you guys immediately were like, yeah, sure, somebody sent you. But I think that because I didn't do nefarious things like screwing up the systems, like trying to do things to keep you guys all on board. The worst was when basically at the very end, trying to shuttle gates onto the planet without you guys was really kind of the most action-packed moment of that whole story. Yeah, I mean, that was the... Everyone's goals were kind of aligned right. uh, in the beginning, at the very late. Uh, you know, Captain Jack wanted to get to the planet. I wanted to preserve the ship. Uh, Dirk wanted gates, I guess. Um, to be awesome on camera. Well, yeah, there's that too. But if he got the girl too, that'd be great. Oh man, I loved that uh, the 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 YouTube thing that I invented mm. on the fly. That was so much fun. <laughs> the fact that we had to worry about our ratings, or at least Dirk was worried about the ratings. That that's like almost an idea I want to explore in another game because that's kind of dark. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. military or space affairs like that's is at the for- whims of kids giving a thumbs up on the internet. <laughs> put that into a paranoia game. I mean, yeah, I. I the, the definitely like the thing that I did like about you know keeping in the tradition of like the Star Trek kind of thing is like you know there's a common thematic through line through like most episodes mm-hmm. like you know that I mean, or individuated to each episode and there definitely was that here uh, like the definitely the the idea of uh, you know we came back to it a couple times about um, you know what does it mean to be a hero mm-hmm. what does it mean to accept your mistakes correct your mistakes like you know we kind of played with that a little bit i wish we had more time or more i'm not quite sure why we couldn't dive into that was it mechanically or, i think I'm not it's quite mechanically sure. and i think mm-hmm. it's those damn laser feelings <laughs> because i was waiting for you to sing that in this episode <laughs> i'm so glad you did also i'm just gonna say for the future i'm never singing again especially ever since Mike caught my freezing song. So sorry. This is one time <laughs> only one, song. my one LP that is released. But um, I found upon reflection that the laser feeling mechanic was really um, like neutering for storytelling experience, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. where instead of figuring out through like she could have been a more nefarious person if you had to research and figure out where she came from or what her deal was. But instead, you were just told yeah, this is this is her deal. A bunch of people died under her watch. She's been missing. And so that happened so many times throughout the game because April Lynn couldn't help but roll laser feelings all the GD mm-hmm. time that uh, it was definitely something that I think also made the story not have tension like it could have, made the story move along at a clip and skip certain steps that could have been there. And because we're recording in the context of you know, the pod in, and trying to be mindful of time and time zones. I know I specifically was like, well, okay, we skipped that check mark, but we're going to move on and try mm. to pick it up someplace else. But I do think that that mechanic can kind of take away because they encourage you so much to ask just all knowing questions that mm-hmm. to me kind of deflate a lot of the gameplay experience. hundred percent. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Like, there's kind of a mystery that was like, what is she after? And I think that was kind of, 
I mean, we kind of knew the basics of it until the reveal at the end that, like, because of her crew, like, she mm-hmm. wanted to go back and, and do that. I mean, there were hints dropped along the way, but, like, yeah, the uh, the omniscience of the, like, the laser feelings role, which happened a lot, because you have a one in six chance of getting at least... You need to you know, sing it, Mike. I'm not going to sing it. Never. I No, you don't want me singing. Trust me. Every party has a pooper. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Slow your roll there. <laughs> But yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I wonder if, like, I've seen systems where it's, like, instead of, like, each person playing a character, like, it's more that, like, people create characters and then you create a, almost like a TV show episode, and you can, each person can jump into those characters as Mm -hmm. need be. So it's okay that you are omniscient, but the characters are not necessarily. Yeah, it's a tricky thing. I, I, I don't know what else you could get for rolling a laser feeling that would make the mechanics of the game more satisfying or somehow support the narrative a little bit better but it definitely was something that I felt took away a lot of potential gameplay experience but I think about this game like a lot of the stuff that we're talking about for the challenges of this I think about well what were they trying to do with this game What's their sort of artistic mission on this? And I think on their site, they say it was based on a song by a group called the Double Clicks. Um, Mm. That was, but all I can tell from listening to as much as the song that I could, because I personally am not into nerd folk rock, but no offense to anybody who is, it's not my thing. But I guess the song is called Lasers and Feelings and the game is called Lasers and Feelings, but that's about all that they have. And so if I'm trying to, but then trying to figure out like, okay, who looking at the double clicks, looking at what they're trying to vibe with and what this game is doing, I do think it's very leaning into tropes, having fun with tropes in a genre. And I think it's great for introducing people, like we said earlier. It'd be the type of thing that would do really well at like a PAX Unplugged when you're in between sessions and you're with hardcore RPG nerds that just like can't get enough of role playing. But it was definitely like quick. It could be quick and fast and satisfying with very little setup and very little to April Lynn's point, like work on the GM side. And if it's just trying to serve that purpose of grab a couple drinks, hang out, you know, get your Mountain Dew of choice and, you know, just have some fun. And it's not that deep. Then I think it accomplishes that well, because it is very quick to get into. But I think if you have any if you raise the bar of expectations any more than that, you'll find that I think the rules will kind of let you down, in my opinion. I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, it, I mean, I, I don't know if it's necessarily like, let me put it this way. I'm not sure this is a kind of game I would want to play again. Do you know what I mean? That's like, going to be my next question. Yeah. Would you ever play it again in what context? Well, I mean, I'm saying this in the context of like, you know, going to a PAX Unplugged and getting people together with a couple of drinks and all that kind of stuff. I can see having had a few alcoholic drinks in my time that like a group of people for Sorry. those who can't see it, Samara is spitting up her drink after I, I said just that. Spit, um, took all of, I think my microphone's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I forget what I was even saying. Uh, that you have had a few drinks in your life and would you play this game again in the oh, context yeah, of yeah, yeah. Um like I think if you get a people that are drinking and whatnot with a system that is this open, I'm not sure you could constrain it in a way where like you could you could do a full adventure. I mean, I think it would still be pretty fun, but mm. I think it would be something that would kind of spiral into something entirely different at some point. Fair point. And like I think that like if I'm going to play something at a con, like 
I'm going to play something that's got a little bit, and maybe this is me, a little bit more direction to it. This seems like a good starter RPG. Like this, like like you said, you're playing, you're running a game for people tomorrow. I think this is a good thing to get people involved and get people to know about what this is. But I don't know if it's necessarily something that I'd want to play again. I might try one of the hacks because they look kind of interesting. But. I think um, I could go either way on it. I think that I like the idea of having a very quick, easy, clear... And by, by clear, I mean that the idea of the game is very clear. You know, just looking at the art of basically the Starship Enterprise and the mm. very short description of the game, you know exactly what it's what the idea of the game is going to be, what the setting should be. Uh, I don't think it took any of us very long to figure out, okay, we're basically playing in a campy space opera. Mm-hmm. Uh, or spa- not space opera, because that would be more Star Wars, but campy, mm. sci-fi, rogue, galactic empire what whatever also star wars <laughs> <laughs> anyways i think that it would having a game like this to just pull out of your pocket in the in-between time like hey we've got a couple hours to kill let's do something fun that isn't going to be a heavy in-depth slog could be good but on the other hand there are plenty of other games that do that is this the one that i would hold on to I don't know. I think I need to play more of the micro game genre to really know for sure. Yeah. So I had just dropped out while April Lynn was talking about um, a casual thing to pick up with people to say that you sort of had it on the ready to go. And I was going to say for that purpose, I would almost argue that the one that we played previously that was meant to be an online forum game would almost be better for that for that purpose. The Sundered Land is uh, kind of, that's almost like a, hmm. I'm trying to wonder if that's like the kind of game you play with strangers or if that's the kind of game you play with friends. Like, mm. I mean, I think, I think lasers and feelings you play with strangers. Um, like, because everyone kind of grocks this idea. Everyone's seen Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Or, so seen enough of Star Trek that, to that they can get it. But, or something close enough. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I, hmm. I think that, you know, just to boil it down that, we keep on dancing around it, but fundamentally it's like, yeah, I had a lot of fun. It's fun to swim in these tropes that we know. And it is maybe not so repeatable, but it is a great tool to introduce people to the concept of tabletop RPGs because it gives you a base dice mechanic and it is really grounded in storytelling. Maybe it is not, you know, as strong as other ones, but I feel like it accomplishes that goal that and I'll report back after we do this tomorrow with all noobs. But my hope is that they would experience this and go, okay, that's what you guys are doing when you're talking about, you know, RPGs. Because I often forget as a huge up my own ass nerd that people don't just like know what happens in a tabletop RPG. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a nice reminder to be like, oh, right. Some people just need to be walked into, yeah, you speak like your character, you you know, build the world, anything's possible. Let's do the story back and forth. And I think for that muscle building or just showing people what it is, it's it's good at that. And obviously I want to see all these, Mike, where are you finding these different skins for it? Oh, I'll, I'll send you a link later. Yeah, there's a, there's a ton of these. And actually for folks listening, you can Google something like uh, lasers and feelings hacks and you'll find a huge amount of them. <laughs> um, hmm. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, so that's interesting too, is that enough people appreciate the idea that they want to play with it more. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, I also, I actually have not seen a lot of like how they're playing. I don't think they're playing with it mechanically, but I think they're just playing with it in setting. And I think that might also be an introduction tool. I know friends who, I, I have friends who have never seen Star Wars, never really gotten into Star Wars, Star Trek or anything like that, but they know Doctor Who or they know mm-hmm. Downton Abbey or something like that, that they can actually play and like understand. And I think that that kind of serves that particular man i would love to play an elizabethan like sense and sensibility or pride and prejudice version of a game like this (laughs) (laughs) i was i was actually wondering if there's going to be some element to it because it was captain darcy i did like that that was kind of fun i think there are there's probably jane austen pen and paper games out there and i'm yeah you're telling Mm. me that somebody hasn't turned pride and prejudice and zombies into some kind of role-playing game i'm i'm sure there's an indie something that that deals with like elizabethan england somewhere well april in this is your challenge this is the game that you're gonna gm for us you gotta Uh, find no i don't think so (laughs) you want to play that game you don't want to run that game i don't even necessarily know if i want to play it i'm just abused (laughs) by the idea I think I know people who would want to play that game, and I think that I would play if they were playing. But otherwise, mm-hmm. eh. Okay, here's a question for you guys. If one of the things that this game does well is allow you to swim around in tropes with a relatively light lift, jump into these types of worlds, what's one setting that you don't often get to see in your games that you would want to? Mm. Um, Generic friend sitcom. So like a Seinfeld or a Friends or a How I Met Your Mother, one of those shows where there's just an apartment that people randomly show up in. Yes, that would be, yes. I don't know what the plot would be, but uh, <laughs> it, it would be a lot of fun. I bet you could be probably a- build a good like plot table to, you know, because I mean, like sitcom plots are kind of formulaic anyway. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. man, oh, Seinfeld, the RPG. <laughs> would be the best i i think if this if it doesn't exist i might have to figure out how to make it yes let's do this this is our research for next time that sounds very exciting (laughs) i like how you're doing this research while we're recording mike i mean why not the fans want to know do they though not so sure this might be our last episode (laughs) <laughs> we find out the fans did not, in fact, want to know. Everyone unsubscribed after they were like, oh, they want to do a Seinfeld RPG. <laughs> um, one thing actually that kind of came to my mind when you're uh, talking about that, I, I like the setting I would kind of want to see. And I don't know, maybe this is a, says more about me than anything else. But like I was thinking like generic, like shonen anime, like Dragon Ball mm-hmm. Z or something like that. Mm, like mm. I think you could actually have a really good like episode of uh, of it. I'm not sure what it would be. It would be probably like, fireballs and screaming instead of lasers and feeling. <laughs> <laughs> but like it would be something like that. You could have a whole vast array of different enemies and powers and all that kind of stuff. And I think that could get people into it because like a lot of like that kind of stuff kind of sits in the video game realm. Mm-hmm. Like, in, like in fighting games or in like, you know, open world uh, uh, adventure games or something like that. And I don't know if there's actually like a shonen R. I'm sure there's a shonen RPG, but like, you know, stuff that kind of deals with things a little bit more, the more interesting episodes of Dragon Ball Z that are not like, you know, Goku charging up for 
30 well, minutes. There is a, and I'm sure you've heard of this, the big eyes, small mouth uh, system that. Oh, right. Yes. I've never played it. I don't know much about it, but I know it's a very well-known lets you play with anime tropes game system, mm-hmm. uh, but it is not small. I don't think it wouldn't, wouldn't fall in that quick to learn category. I wouldn't see. I feel like something along those lines, Mike, would run across a different challenge than what we experienced in our playing of Lasers and Feelings, which is where would you find any narrative beyond just fight the next (laughs) thing, fight the next thing, fight the next thing? I mean, there really isn't any narrative, is there? There's lots of entire episodes of hovering in the air and charging up your superpower. Okay, I'm going to defend DBZ here. <laughs> there are, so like, you know, there's, that is the kind of thing, but like, you know, there are episodes and there are arcs that are kind of interesting and have stuff that you can play with. Granted, they're few and far between in the original run of Dragon Ball Z. Um, some of the later stuff, Dragon Ball Super and all that, like kind of has some more interesting stuff in it. But yeah, maybe it's less DBZ and more, I don't know, Full Metal Alchemist or something, or like, uh, ooh, uh, uh, what's the one I'm thinking of? Uh, My Hero Academia. My Hero Academia, which is just like superheroes. Uh, right. My new superheroes, basically. Um, that could be something that could be really uh, well executed. Uh, I want to look up this system that you talked about, April Lynn. I'm excited to uh, continue to see. I think my the most fun for me in these is, is seeing in these reviews when we're talking about them and seeing the other games that they make us think about or ways that we would continue to build on or... Um, fully abandoned any of these games but this one i feel like it's not an abandon it's just right time and place and maybe a different skin is kind Mm -hmm. of our overall assessment of it clearly we had a lot of opinions but uh overall had a good fun as ever we gotta call it somewhere so i think i'm gonna say that's it for this episode of one shot test kitchen thank you for joining us and remember if you're interested in playing lasers and feelings for yourself it's available at 17design.com april in mike you guys know what time it is. Where can fans of uh, Cap 5 and Dr. Dirk connect with you online? April Lynn? So you can find me on uh, Instagram at A-L-C-A-O-U-E-T-T-E, A-L-C-A-O-U-E-T-T-E where I post uh, outtakes from my life and lots of awkward selfies. <laughs> Mike? Uh, you can find me uh, at Galen Blade on Twitter, G-A-L-E-N-B-L-A-D-E. I'm at Naomi on Instagram and at Samara Naomi on Twitter. That's N-A-E-Y-M-I. Come follow me and let us hold hands as we stare into the void of the internet together. Okay, enough of my nonsense. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys. If you have any comments or questions for us, or if you have a suggestion for a game that we should take on in the future, please drop us a line at ostkpodcast at gmail.com. And hey... If you found this gameplay and discussion riveting, thoughtful, encouraging, and you'd like to help us out, please leave us a review on your podcast service of choice. Our in-house data analyst tells us that it actually helps people find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Wow, we're going to have to cut this whole part out. I had a gigantic brain fart. <laughs> oh I had really eloquent things to say about this mechanic, and they all left my brain. <laughs>